Good morning. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord. We're going to read a scripture so you can remain standing if you would. (laughs) Good to see you, Bert. God bless. Well, pay attention to some of the upcoming highlights in your bulletin, especially the one tonight, the musical presentation, the Young Voices in Celebration, 6 o'clock right here. You can see who all is involved in that. We encourage you to attend. Look at all the others. And be sure and sign the book. I'll say it over and over. Some people say it doesn't do any good, but I keep saying it. Sign the book. Sign the book. John chapter 6. For those of you who were here last week, this may sound familiar because this was the text And this was the passage before us last week as well. It's the story, of course, of Jesus feeding the 5,000. All four Gospels record this particular miracle. And here's John's account. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As often happens, a pastor makes a selection for the reading and then he preaches and he realizes there's so much more It needs to be brought out, and so that's what happened this week. Mark told me early in the week that he just hadn't gotten out of this passage all he wanted to, so he was going to preach it again. And I told him, Mark, I've preached everything I know out of that passage. I preached from stem to stern, and I I just, everything I could think of last week I preached, so I've got nothing left to say. I'm out of soap, and I don't know what to do. And he said, well, how do you like my title? And I looked at the title, and I thought, oh, that makes it even worse. What, what, do you, what do you see there? That, And I began to look at it, and he confessed that he got it out of a particular commentary, or at least the outline of it. And I looked at that, and I thought, what in the world can I do without just repeating everything I said last week? I repeat myself enough as it is. And so 
I looked at the title and I thought, well, I think we can see what that means. I look at it there, it says 5 plus 2 plus X equal 5,000 plus. I told Mark that that's not really an equation, that's an inequality, actually, when you put the plus on the 5,000, but some people are a little more astute at math than others. And, uh, <clears throat> but we can see what it is. It's 5 is the loaves, 2 fish, and then plus the X equal 5,000 plus. The 5,000 plus were the men plus the women and children, a massive, massive crowd of people there on that mountainside that afternoon. And then I looked in there and I saw the X. And I think I know what that is. That's the chi in the Greek. That's the chi, the C-H. It stands for Christ. And it's used all throughout early Christian history. The chi is the substitute for Christ. If you've ever seen X Mass for Christmas, Xmas, some of us get a little upset that they've left Christ out of Christmas. Well, they actually haven't. They've just abbreviated the word Christ with that symbol, that initial letter, Chi. And so then I thought, okay, there I have it. I'll preach Christ. And what I noticed in that passage last time that really stood out, and I, I made some application of it, but not much, and that is that there's a little, little phrase in that very familiar episode that says there was much grass in this place and that he had ordered them to sit down. And then I recall that the custom in the ancient world in most circumstances was to recline at a meal, to sort of lie down, maybe prop up on one elbow or pillows or on couches and chairs. And a lot of times they ate off the floor anyway or very low tables in the, in the uh, ancient Mideast. And you know the imagery. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. And, and I, I noted last week, and I want to kind of fill it in a little bit with a little more uh, Old Testament background. That's a fulfillment of a picture that is painted very vividly in the Old Testament of when Christ the Messiah comes, he will be a shepherd to his people. He will feed his people in green pastures. And that's a vivid picture of what Christ does in his coming for his people. Now, there's a passage in the Old Testament, and if you would, I'd like for you to, to look it up. Take a moment, use your pew Bible if you haven't brought your Bible with you. But look to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. And I want to just run through most of the chapter and show you a few highlights. Now, the background of Ezekiel, most of you know, is this prophet Ezekiel wrote during the time of the Babylonian captivity. And he had some of his time, of course, he had been under the ministry. He was a priest, and he functioned in the temple area, and he was part of the priestly family in Jerusalem, but then he was one of the captive groups that was taken into Babylonian captivity. 
and he had about a 20-year ministry in Babylonian captivity with the people by the river Kibar there in Babylon. And one of the things that Ezekiel struggles with, as well as Daniel and some other uh, prophets in the Old Testament that prophesied during that era of time, was they struggled with what God was doing in the Babylonian captivity. It was, why had God forsaken his people? Why had he taken them out of the land that he had promised to their fathers and had so wonderfully given them, a land in which they had dwelled for hundreds of years? Why did he remove them? Why did he punish them? Why did he cause the Babylonians to bring about the most massive destruction to the temple in the temple area and rob all of the things? It was, why had all of this calamity come upon Israel? And he had prophesied 150 years earlier by the prophet Habakkuk saying, Behold, I raise up the Chaldeans. And eventually God raised up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they took over. And so one of the things that they contemplate and they they try to figure out in preaching to God's people is, why is God's judgment so severe upon his people now? And the answer, one of the answers, one of the main answers was they had forsaken the Sabbaths. They had not kept the Sabbath. So God imposed elongated Sabbath upon them. Seventy years, which was a Sabbath times ten, was imposed upon them so that they had to rest and be out of the land and vacate the land and keep the Sabbath. But another reason, and probably one that's more applicable and personal to what we think about, is that God was simply punishing Israel because of their poor leadership. In Israel, there were three offices that constituted the shepherds of Israel. First were the prophets, the men who brought the word of God. Then were the priests, the Levitical order that God had established, whereby all the sacrificial system and the education and Many other functions in the life of Israel took place. The priest and the prince. The king and his sons and his administration. So through the prophet, the priest, and the prince, God ruled over his people. He shepherded his people. The shepherd motif has been from the very beginning in ancient Israel. Abraham himself was a herder of sheep. A wandering Aramean was my father. And his hundred-year sojourn in the land of Palestine, in Canaan's land, was that of herding and following and leading and tending to the sheep. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. And until God's people went down into Egyptian captivity and were forced into slave labor in a non-nomadic life, but a sedentary life and a life of slavery. God's people were without a shepherd. God pulled a man who was being groomed to be a king in Pharaoh's court, Moses. Took a king, a prince, took him out into the deserts of Midian for 40 years and made him into a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. And then God sent him back to lead the people out of Egypt's bondage and into their 
Canaan experience, although they ended up with nothing under Moses, but a wilderness experience. But God took a king and made a shepherd out of him. And years and years and years later, when God chose to raise up the ideal leader of Israel, he took a shepherd, little David, and made a king out of him. Raised him up to be king of Judah, and then finally king of Israel, and then king over all of Israel for 40 years. That's the way God leads his people. He leads his people with shepherds. Now, I noticed in that passage that the people's reaction that Jesus perceived was that they were going to make him king. In other words, they didn't miss this. They saw that that office of shepherd had that royal function. And Jesus fit the bill. He was that prophet, our text said. And he was serving them. And as we come to it here later in chapter 6, we'll see that he was serving them the sacrificial meal, the communion of the bread, the broken bread, symbolizing, of course, ultimately the broken body of Christ, functioning before them as a priest. So prophet, priest, and king, the glimpses of it were seen there in that feeding miracle that day. But the reason that Ezekiel prophesies is he is trying to bring some light upon why God's people are in bondage now again, from Egypt to Babylonian, from the Nile to the Euphrates. And God speaks directly through all of his musings and all of his wonderings and all of his prophesying, and in some cases it seems like rants and rails, God speaks. And that's what the 34th chapter is. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. God had something to say about the shepherds. The prophets had spoken false messages. They had not delivered the true word of God. The priests had corrupted the sacrifice and taken bribes. We saw this corruption of the priesthood back when we saw where Jesus cleansed the temple some weeks back in the Gospel of John. And the princes had ruled over God's people with an iron hand and had had oppressed them. And so here's the way God speaks to them. Prophesy and say, even to the shepherds, thus saith the Lord, O shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Did you catch that? The shepherds were looking out after themselves enriching themselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. Listen to this indictment. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. The shepherds of Israel had not tended the sheep, cared for the sheep, sought the sheep, healed the sheep, restored, fed the sheep, led the sheep in paths of righteousness, but instead they had oppressed them and they had exploited them. 
So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And several times in the Gospels, Jesus looks upon the people as scattered sheep having no shepherd. And that's the way I think Jesus saw the multitude on the mountain that afternoon. And he says, my sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search for them or seek them. Therefore, shepherd, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for the wild beast, since there was no shepherd and my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Here the building of the terms of the indictment. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. Is it possible that God would have a case against his own church leadership? That's what he seems to be saying. I am against the shepherds. I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer will the shepherds feed themselves. And then I want you to hear a theme that goes for the next several paragraphs in this text. And I'll emphasize it when we get to it. But notice the very next words there in that, in that um, I think we're in about verse 10 by now. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. The Lord himself is going to have to save his sheep from the mouths of the shepherds as though the shepherds were the wolves. Now listen to what the Lord said. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Now God personally takes the responsibility to shepherd his sheep. And that is precisely, if you get nothing else, I want you to get that. The Lord gives up on the shepherds and with good cause. But it's beyond that. The Lord himself takes personal responsibility to be the immediate personal shepherd of his sheep. That's why the psalmist is able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. If you notice through that entire uh, psalm that we read, the 23rd psalm, it's just the first person and the second person. There's never a reference to a third person. It's I and you. I walk through the valley of the shadow. You are with me. You feed me. You pasture. You lead me beside the still waters. It's, it's two. It's, it's, it's personal. It's a one-on-one relationship. And, and, and I'm here to, to encourage every one of you under the sound of my voice this morning to have the Lord as your shepherd because I'm here to tell you your shepherds will let you down. We will at times fail you and forsake you. The sinfulness and the carnality and the tendency to go astray and all number of other things that are make us fully culpable in every way will let you down. It's often been said, I like Christ, I just don't care much for Christians. <laughs> well, that's kind of the way it is. And we, I encourage each one to develop a personal relationship so that when your shepherd lets you down, when the prophets speak falsely or weakly or timidly, 
you still hear the voice of the Lord. When the shepherds and the priests don't feed you on the living bread and bring you to the cross of Christ and how you partake of the shed blood of Christ in a real and vital and spiritual way, you still have the Lord. And when the shepherds functioning in their capacity as king or as prince, lead you astray, mislead, misguide, you still have the Lord. That's the wonderful thing we have now is we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that enables us to have him to be our personal shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, there's a great function and there's nothing like a vital and a godly and a zealous shepherding ministry. But when all else fails, I recommend to you the Christ. Now listen to the way he says this. I'm going to read this this whole block here. I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as the shepherd seeks his flock when he is among his sheep that may be scattered. So I will seek out my sheep I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And by the way, this is interesting how it is sh- this is shadow fulfillment here when Christ was preaching and teaching there on the mountain of Galilee. You know, Galilee was a district that was known as Galilee of the Gentiles. In other words, it was the people ever since the deportation and then the importation of all the the pagan and the uh, uh, godless peoples into that northern sector, which was once the northern tribe, Samaria and Galilee were made up of a lot of Gentiles or people that were descended from Gentiles. And that's the word that's the peoples, the ethnic groups. And so there's a sense in which there on that mountain that day, the Lord was gathering his people from the Gentiles, from the peoples of the earth, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel, their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture, they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Is that not the feeding of the 5,000? Now, there's a greater fulfillment than that, but at least that fulfills the hope that the Lord himself will show up and and shepherd his people. Verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. I will feed them in justice. You were sought by the shepherd. You belong to Christ today because Christ left the ninety and nine in the fold and went out looking for that one lost lamb. And I am that lamb. And you are that lamb. And if it had not been for the shepherd coming, finding you in your helpless condition and binding up your wounds and rescuing you and pulling you out and bringing you into the fold, you would not be 
saved today. As for you, my flock, says the Lord, listen to this, I will judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. It is not enough for you to feed on good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and drink of clear water. And you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet, and my sheep eat what they have trodden with their feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet. He's saying, you're not even, the shepherds of Israel are are even messing up the water supply. They're muddying up the still waters. It's not enough that there's water there, but they have to mess that up too. So the, the Lord says, therefore, says the Lord, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push from side and shoulder and thrust all the week with your horns until you've scattered them abroad. This is a vivid description of the way the sheep behave. There's bully sheep. And there's, there's sheep that, that, that uh, abuse and take advantage and push around the others. And the Lord says, I'm going to judge. By the way, this is a vague but nevertheless, I think an accurate picture of what the Lord talks about in Matthew 25 when he talks about the great judgment day where the sheep and the goat are judged by the king. doesn't say shepherd, he says the king. But when you see shepherd and king, you see them together in the Bible because that's the quality of the king is he is a shepherd. And he does this as I continue. Therefore, says the Lord, I myself will judge between... The, I'm sorry, uh, verse 20, 22. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd. That's Christ. That's the X in the formula. That's the chi. That's Christ. It's a prophecy of Christ. I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. God took from being a shepherd and made him a king, and now that's what he does to the Lord, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. The prophet is Christ. The priest is Christ. The prince is Christ. And then, I think I'm out of time here, but the rest of the passage talks about all the good things, that they'll dwell securely in the wilderness, they'll be safe from the wild beasts, there'll be, and I love this passage, got that good old song out of it, there shall be showers of blessing. God says, I will shower blessing down upon them. I will provide for them, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, and they, the house of Israel, are my people, and you are my sheep, and listen to this, my human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. That's the covenant that God has made. It's a unilateral promissory covenant. He made it. He's going to accomplish it. And he's accomplishing it in Christ. I'm the shepherd, says Christ. You're the sheep. You're my human sheep. And it's the fulfillment of the covenant. I am your God, and you are my people, the sheep of my pasture. I think that's what we see if not in vivid hue, we see it in good, clear type of Christ in that feeding of his people in the green pasture on the mountain that afternoon. Let me ask you just one question. Are you one of his sheep? 
He will later talk a lot about the discourse, and a lot of the background we talked about here is I am the good shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Are you doing like the song said when it talks about how the glimmer of light came in and the soul was restored and how we rose and went forth and followed? As Wesley, the songwriter, said in the song we sang a little while ago, are you following the Lord? Are you his sheep? He laid down his life for the sheep. Are you one of his? Do you feel the loving arms? He walked through the valley of the shadow of death in order that you might live in the house of the Lord forever.